Bible lesson study guide. It's printed for you. If you didn't get one and you'd like one, see one of the ushers back there. It looks like Brother Dave's over there. He'll provide you with one. Praise the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 11 through 13. How many love the word of God? Praise the Lord. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we toward you. To the end, we may establish your hearts that he, excuse me, he may, may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And you could just about hear Paul say, Amen. Because basically, 11, 12, and 13 is Paul's prayer. Remember that. It's Paul's what? It's his prayer for the Thessalonian church. Father, thank you. Thank you for the power of prayer. Thank you for encouraging prayer. Bless us tonight as we look at this text in Jesus' name. All God's people say amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. We've titled the lesson, Paul's Strongest Encouragement. And as you know, as we've been making our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians, it doesn't take very long that we realized this is a letter all about encouragement. The Thessalonians had encouraged Paul through their obedience to the gospel. Now Paul seeks to encourage them with a letter. Okay, we've all read uh, what he said about encouragement. We've actually learned several things about encouragement. Like we've learned that it can come from the words we say uh, or the example we live. It's not really or, it's and. And we've learned that it can be comforting. Encouragement can be comforting like a mother or it can be stern like a father, right? But the main thing we've learned is that true biblical encouragement always leads a person closer to Christ, okay? And with that being said, tonight I want us to see, though, the strongest, okay, the absolute strongest encouragement we can give another person and somebody say that is prayer that is prayer for them when we pray for a person we are literally taking them before the creator we are taking them before an awesome God so he can do in their lives what we could never do how many know that's a fact and so tonight I want us to revisit the importance of prayer for one another as an encouragement. And hopefully we all know how important prayer is and, and how Scripture reminds us. How many know there's such a thing as the sin of prayerlessness? Yeah, it's actually a sin. You say, where do you get that? Well, if you go to the Old Testament prophet judge by the name of Samuel he actually said this to the people of Israel in 1 Samuel 12 23 he said God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you 
How many know he took prayer pretty serious? Samuel has been gone over 4,000 years, yet his words still remain, and they remind us, pray for each other. Pray for each other. Avoid that sin of prayerlessness. Now, as prophet and judge, Samuel desired to instruct, inspire, and encourage Israel. But first and foremost, he prayed for them. And he knew that prayerlessness was the sin that he could easily fall into. Man, can't we all fall into that one? Very easy. So that's Samuel. Now, fast forward several thousand years later into the New Testament we come to the Apostle Paul, and he understands the importance of prayer. He understands the sin of prayerlessness as well. Listen to what he says in some of his letters, like Romans 1 and verse 9. For God is my witness, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Now, that's Romans 1, 9. We know Rome was a city Paul had never been to physically at the point of that writing. Okay? He would eventually get there. But he had been there many times on his knees in prayer, so to speak. For example, uh, Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says that he ceased not to give thanks for them, making mention of them in his prayers. Unlike the Romans, Paul had spent three years in Ephesus. And yet Paul's encouragement was the same. He prayed for Romans. He prayed for uh, the church at Ephesus. How about the uh, Philippian jailer, the Philippian church? That was one we know that Paul pioneered, he planted from the jailer that got saved in his household and also Lydia. And because Paul had a firm affection for that church, it says he prayed for them in chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Paul prayed for the church at uh, Philippi. And the Colossian church was not one that Paul started. In fact, Paul had never been there. Instead, Epaphras is the one that traveled there because he was from there. And he planted the church there. But first, he had traveled to be with Paul. And Paul taught him how to lead his church. And he went back and planted that one. And even though Paul could not see the believers at Colossae, he says, I, I pray for you. He told them, I, I prayed for you often. Colossians 1, 9 through 12. So some churches Paul knew, some he had started, others were completely unfamiliar with him, and yet his practice was all the same for all of them. Pray for him. Pray for him. Notice on your study guide, prayer was the one constant. Everybody say constant. It was the one constant in, prayer, in Paul's ministry. It is blatantly obvious that prayer is absolutely essential in our desire to encourage each other. We don't just talk to 
others. We talk to God about others. That's praying for him. Paul wasn't alone in this. Consider what Christ said. For example, in John, John 17, it's a great chapter. And in it, Christ prays for his followers. And in verses 9 through 13, we find that Christ not only encourages us, he not only commands us, he not only teaches us, but he, but he prays for us. And we see some of what he prayed for. He prayed for our purity. He, he prayed for our unity. He prayed for our eventual promotion to be with him at the end of our day. Prayer mattered to Christ as he sought to encourage his followers. And remember what Christ told Peter when he sought to encourage him. If you look back in Luke chapter 22, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Oh, but he says, I have prayed for you. I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And I thought it interesting when you look at that verse in the Greek, it says Satan hath desired. In the Greek, it's actually that word desired is more emphatic, is actually demanded. Peter, Satan has demanded to have you. Boy, I'm sure glad Christ doesn't give in to the demands of Satan. Christ said, I've prayed for you. And, and really, church, Christ praying for us, somebody ought to be able to say, that's the best news ever. Right? I mean, additionally, not only do we find in Scripture that Christ prays for us, how many know the Holy Spirit prays for us? Romans 8, 26, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And so we see that this prayer and this intercession was the desired method for, the, for an apostle who desperately wanted to encourage his people. And so we would be mistaken if we did an entire study on encouragement and did not review the important role that prayer plays in the process of encouragement. So tonight we're going we're gonna to see what <clears throat> Paul really prays, what he precisely prays. Not only does his prayers help to show us how to pray, but also helps us to see the goal of encouragement in others. So that's what we're going to do. Three points here on your study guide. Three things Paul was asking God to do for these believers at Thessalonica. Number one, are you ready? Strengthen their faith. He's asking God to strengthen their faith. Now, obviously, to better understand what Paul is getting at here in verse 11, we have to remember what we studied last week. We said that Paul was an encouraged apostle thanks to the good report he heard from Timothy about the Thessalonian church. And he saw, we saw Paul's renewed commitment uh, last week in verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> and so we know why Paul wanted to come to the Thessalonians. He told us it was to complete what was lacking in their faith. He wanted to see maturity. 
Paul didn't just want to go and enjoy their company, although he would. Paul wanted to go and strengthen the faith of those believers. And now that is precisely what he's praying for here. Paul wanted to go because he wanted to grow their faith. And we understand that teaching is one of the ways that God does that. And Paul was a great teacher. Okay? Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 says he, Paul writes, he says he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. Where would we be without the word of God? Where would we be without teachers who teach us the word? Where would we be without people? Like, I mean, I was thinking today, I, I'm forever indebted to a man by the name of Pastor Jack Sanders. You know Philip Sanders, many of you know him, he's been here. His father was my long-term pastor growing up as a, a, a young youth. He was a great teacher. He taught uh, several years at, at OBI, but he, he loved the Word of God. Brother Dale Burge was a man, not only my pastor in my teen years, but he, he was my boss in construction. My brother that was 15 years older than I got laid off one year, and so he came to work with us for a short time. And uh, my brother found out, and he told me, he said, man, whenever we need a break, Matt, he says, all you do is just ask him a Bible question. It's exactly that. He had laid down, it was, we were uh, mainly doing uh, masonry jobs at that time, brick and block. And he had laid down his tool or his trowel <laughs> for the next 15 or 20 minutes. We'd get a break. We just had to listen to him teach the word. And that's what he'd do right there on the construction site. Why? Because our faith grows as we learn God's truth. Knowledge is invaluable to the growth of our faith. And this is true in regard to all the New Testament churches. The Corinthians, they needed teaching because they were confused about the resurrection. The Galatians, they needed teaching because they were confused about circumcision. The Thessalonians in Paul's second letter, we're not there yet, they thought they missed the second coming of Christ. So Paul had to teach them about that. The Colossians were confused about the deity of Christ and needed someone to come and teach them in order for their faith to properly mature. Truth is, knowledge and faith go hand in hand. Knowledge and faith. Go hand in hand. And that is why Peter says in 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.2, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. See, knowledge matters. And so it becomes obvious why Paul prays that for the church here. He knew that he needed to come and teach the Thessalonians, but he already told us he had tried to go, but Satan had hindered, right? And therefore, the only way for Paul to come and encourage them was God was going to have to open the door. 
And that's why he says <clears throat> the last phrase of verse 11, direct our way unto you. That's what Paul was praying, that God would direct his way to get to the Thessalonians, to be with them and to teach them. And that meant Paul needed to pray. As God opens the way, God would strengthen him to in return strengthen their faith. So point number one was he prayed that God would strengthen their faith. Point number two, not only strengthen their faith, but how about this one? Sharpen their love. That's verse 12. Not only did Paul want to come strengthen their faith, but he also prayed, the Lord make you to increase and abound in love. One toward another, toward all men, even as I do toward you. Here we see the exact area in which Paul wanted their faith to grow. What area was it? The area of love. Why love? Because love, notice this on your study guide, is the most genuine fruit of true faith. Right? Remember what Christ called the greatest commandment? Anybody remember that? He said that greatest commandment is love God with all your heart. And he went on to say the close second was love thy neighbor as yourself. How many know it doesn't get any bigger than that? Romans 13, 8, owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Paul says, love worketh no ill toward his neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. Paul's point is that we have reached, in a sense, the pinnacle of faith when the love of Christ is displayed in our lives. The Apostle John writes exhaustively, oh, if you want a crash course on Christian love, read 1 John. 1 John 2, 9 and 10, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. But he that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. That was 1 John 2, 9 and 10. How about this, 1 John 3, 14? We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. He's talking about spiritual death. That's chapter 3. How about 1 John chapter 4? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. And he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. That was a little weak, for God is yeah, that's bad. One more from his epistle, 1 John 5. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him, loveth him also that is begotten of him. So John says love is the measuring rod. It's the measuring stick of true 
saving faith. Amen? An unlo- How many know an unloving Christian is an oxymoron? Right? It's an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is? like jumbo shrimp. So an unloving Christian is really just an absolute contradiction, right? Why? Because a person's faith is measured by their love. In fact, remember 2 Peter 1, I believe it is, 5 through 8, where Peter gives the list of of character attributes by which we evaluate our life. He says, add to your, add to your, remember that? Remember where the list began, though. Started with faith. Remember where the list ended. Love. God is taking us from unbelievers to those who love like he loves. And therefore, the goal of any person in their encouragement is to encourage others to love like Christ loves. We don't just encourage people to know more. We don't just encourage people to believe bigger things. We don't just encourage people to attend church more. We don't just encourage people to cheer up. Ultimately, our encouragement has a goal. And that is to produce in them the love of Jesus Christ. But here's a real important fact to this is that regardless of how hard we try, regardless of how much we teach, regardless of of how great of an example we show, we cannot, how many know we cannot put love in the heart of another person? Only God can do that. Right? Romans 5, 5. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. How? By Pastor Jones putting it in there. Nope. By the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And so it is obvious the path here that Paul is really on. He's praying that they will love. And to help them love, he's praying that God will help him get there to teach them to love more dearly and clearly. He encourages them, but ultimately, how does he do it? Through praying for them. He prays God will strengthen their faith. Secondly, he prays God will sharpen their love. And thirdly, He prays that God would solidify their hope. Does that make sense? Here we come to the great end of our encouragement ministry. And really, this is why we encourage one another. This is what we want for those that we encourage. We want to give them hope. So I say hope. Verse 13, to the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming. That's what we're all looking for. At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. That's what we're all hoping for. So listen to what Paul's saying here. He says, we want you to be established in holiness. We want you... <clears throat> Not only Let's try that again. 
see how long. There it is. Thank you, Brother Jesse. Let's back up. So he says in verse 13, To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he is solidifying their hope and praying that their hope is solidified. And listen to what he says. He wants them to be established. He wants them to be unshakable, unmovable. He doesn't there want to, there to be any doubt in their mind that they are actually pleasing God. Have you ever doubted your experience with God? You don't have to raise your hand, but just ask yourself. I think we all have, right? I can't imagine a believer never taking inventory of their life and not being concerned about couple things that they see right the fact is there are times when every believer looks at their life sees things present in their life that they wish were not there let's be honest and when we see those things it causes us to have concern rightfully so And the biggest of all the concerns is, am I ready to meet God? And how many know, church, that's not an insignificant question. Am I ready to stand before God? If Christ returned tonight, am I ready to see him? Am I ready to greet him? Or would I be with those that run and hide from him? See, that's, this, that's a scenario of massive implication. And not only does Paul want people to be ready, he wants these Thessalonian believers to be ready, but he wants them to know that they are ready. Oh, hallelujah. You see, it is possible to be saved and not even feel like it. Some of you here tonight probably don't feel saved. Right? Maybe you're a little tired. Maybe it's been one of those days. You've had all the other feelings except saved feelings. Right? <laughs> it is possible to believe to be a hundred percent forgiven and yet not not feel like it. How many know that's a miserable way to live? Furthermore, 
Scripture never intended for a believer to live there. Sure, we're going to pass through moments, but we're not going to establish an address there. That's why Scripture routinely talks about assurance of the believer. 1 John 5, 13, These things have I written unto you that ye may know that ye have eternal life. And just for the sake of Bible trivia, does anyone know the main thing Scripture asks in order to help us know we're saved? Our love. Just the previous point. Our love, if we go back to that previous point, our love for God and love for people. That's what he says. John even says that the presence of love should set our mind at ease as to our eternal destination. There just comes a change when you get baptized in the Holy Ghost or baptized in salvation. There comes a love for even what before we would call unlovables. Right? 1 John 3, 18 through 20. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Why not love in word? Because some people can say all the right things. But stab you in the back. Right? Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure, assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. The point is that love is the truest fruit of genuine Christianity. And we said that earlier. It is not something we can produce in ourselves. It is only something God can produce in us. True love. And once we see that, that God-like love becomes evident in our life, it is an undeniable indicator that we are God's children. Praise God. And when we know this, Paul says you can have hope and confidence as you look for that day when our Lord returns. You can be confident. Listen, we don't have to live in fear of his coming. We don't have to live in panic or anxiety of his return. And that is the result of encouragement. You see the point? Because we encourage people by teaching them the truth. The truth of God grows their faith. Their faith is evidenced by their love, Paul says, and their love stands as assurance that they are pleasing to God. And when you look at it like that, there's no greater gift that we could give to another believer. Could I say anything to you tonight better than, hey, Brother Sparks, I have been to heaven, and I have seen the Lamb's Book of Life, and I know without a doubt your name is in it. Now, wouldn't that make you feel pretty good? Oh, yeah. 
right? Obviously, I can't do that. But if I encourage you by showing you what Scripture says and see your faith grow so that you walk in love and so that you're like, man, before I met Christ, I could never love them. But now there's a love for them. Hey, that's when you know there's been a heart transformation. Right? And that's encouraging. Be encouraged. (laughs) Sister Rhonda shared a testimony with me a couple weeks ago, I think it was, about her interaction with some neighbors. And I won't share it because she didn't, she shared it with me and I'm not going to say, get any of the details out there, but but she said she she got back to the house or over to the home or something, and she's like, man, that kind of felt good. Because before I would have, I would have took a different approach. Right? It's the love of God at work in our heart. Only God can do that. And so Paul realized. As he prays these three points, he knows, number one, only God can open the door for him to get to the Thessalonians. Number two, only God can grow their faith. Number three, or, and number two, only God can grow their love. But then finally, only God can generate hope. Therefore, the most essential part of Paul's encouragement was his prayer life. All the best intentions in the world were useless if God was not at work. All the purest desires in the world were useless if God was not at work. If we truly want to see God, or if we want to see Christ produced in the lives of one another, if we truly want our brothers and our sisters to be encouraged, if we truly want our brothers and sisters to have hope, then we must pray for each other. Paul would say, enter your prayer closet. Pray ye one for another. I've done some traveling recently. And I found myself, as I travel down the road, in my mind, going from row to row, saying, God, help them. Help so-and-so. Pray for one another, Paul says. If he is here tonight, he'd say, Every chance you get, attend Sunday evening pre-service prayer. Pray for one another. I don't know what to pray for, Pastor. Look around. There's plenty of people to pray for. Amen. Sis Jones, I'm going to close. Galatians 6 and 2. Paul again. He says, bear ye one another's. burdens. And he goes on to say that in doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, that's what Christ expects, desires, wants. Taking a brother or sister to the throne and praying for them is one of the greatest blessings we can give them. This kind of prayer unites us in 
in our faith community. It, it'll, it really will remove our isolation. And we all have struggles that cause us to feel isolated. But when we share our need with someone, a brother or sister, it invites someone else into the sacred space of our heart. And when we hear the emotions of someone we love, the automatic reflex should be take their concerns to God in prayer. The kind of praying that I'm talking about here draws us closer to each other in relationships. Praying for our spouse, praying for our children, praying for friends helps us to see how much we love them and hopefully they see how much we love them. Because almost no one you meet will decline being prayed over. There are exceptions. I, I've had one or two refuse it. It's not the usual. Offering to pray for someone is a gift we can give anyone we meet. And in doing so, we have united them before God's throne and demonstrated that we care enough to really kind of step into their struggle. This kind of praying reminds us we are never intended to carry heavy emotional loads by ourselves. Right? Rather, share it with a brother, share it with a sister. Why? Because God's a big God. We often can forget the depth of His compassion when we feel overwhelmed with the burdens and the pain that we have and we keep it all to ourselves. In those moments, there's nothing so welcome as the prayer of a friend that directs us back to God who longs to carry our burdens for us. That's the kind of praying that will build spiritual muscles. It may feel uncomfortable. You say, I just don't like praying out loud. Some prayers you just, you can pray just a whisper. But maybe, maybe some here tonight, you need to get outside your comfort zone. Pray over someone when you see them. Pray out loud. Remember, God never instructed us to be comfortable. He instructed us to pray for one another and bear each other's burdens. Sometimes that might be awkward. But I encourage you, take the risk. And in time, you'll become more comfortable lifting your voice in prayer. Listen, prayer makes a difference. Somebody say prayer makes a difference. God hears the prayers of his people as we stand. And he has the power to work directly in any given situation. So let prayer be a gift that you give, that you give to your friends, that you give to your church members by helping bear their burdens and directing them to the throne of God. F.B. Meyer, I've got several books of his. He's one of my favorite authors. He wrote a great little book called The Secret of Guidance. That's what he said, and I quote, The great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer but unoffered prayer. May we 
continually offer prayers for one another. Father, here tonight, thank you. Thank you for the instruction of Paul. Thank you for the example of Paul. I pray, God, that we would determine here tonight to pray one for another. Maybe we've grown lax in that area. Maybe we can think about somebody and pick them apart. God, help us to think about them and pray for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say amen. Talked about praying. We've talked about praying prayers of encouragement. Why don't you come forward? Let's spend a few moments. Why don't you come and bring somebody on your heart? Bring them to the Lord in prayer. Get somebody specific that you want to pray for. Why don't you come this evening as we close and just take them to the Lord and pray for them? there's a need that you're aware of that they have. Maybe there's a circumstance that you're aware of that they're walking through at this time. Why don't you just, let's put a little practice in what we profess. And let's bring them to the Lord in prayer. Hallelujah. Welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy.